we need to have these personal face-to-face relationships because that's what we do it we don't coach through a phone app you know we we are we're connecting in and and it's and it's our it's our tone it's our inflection it's our attitude of how we go about communicating to a player and how they receive information so the more we can have that relationship with them and they understand what we want and they understand we can understand who they are I think that easier for us to connect because no matter what everybody says, they want to be treated the same. No, they want to be treated fair, but everyone is different. So the most we can do is say, recognize that, Bobby, you are different than this person and this person. We're going to treat you fair, but we're going to treat you slightly different because you need something slightly different than this player and this player. And the only way to, to, to know that is to have some sort of an understanding relationship with the player. Hello and welcome to episode three of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I apologize for my hoarse voice in this intro. It is at at time of recording, it is 12.45 a.m. I am in a hotel room in Long Island for the past two days. Ryan and I were leading two Heart of a Leader trainings at the same time in his local Brighton, Michigan community because we had so much interest and, and people wanting to go through that experience in our open enrollment training that we ran this month. And as soon as I was done with that, I hopped on a plane got home, hopped on a train, got up to Long Island for a conference I'm speaking at tomorrow here. After that, I will be hopping back on the train to then get on a plane to go to Texas where I'll be working with Texas A&M women's soccer program this Sunday and then speaking in Iowa on Monday to come home for Tuesday and actually pretty excited to start up middle school lacrosse season. Middle school practice starts on Tuesday. So I share all that just to give you a little update in terms of what we are doing and also to give context as to why my voice is hoarse in this intro. And I am excited to do this intro because We are on to episode three of the podcast. The feedback so far has been fantastic. I appreciate all of you who are listening, who are leaving ratings and reviews. If you haven't left a rating or review yet and you're you're enjoying the show, you're a fan of the show, you're listening to the first and the second, and now the third episode, rating and review is, is how you can help us tremendously continue to spread this message. We kick things off in episode one with Super Bowl champion and player development director Harry Swain talking about culture and connection in the world of professional sports. Episode two, we had the wonderful Christine Trippy, and I appreciate all the texts and and Facebook messages and LinkedIn messages of people just saying how much they loved Christine's energy, hearing her stories and learning how she continually found a way to say yes to customers in 30 plus years of hospitality. How she became the director of fun for Marriott International and what she's doing now as the chief fun officer of the Wise Pineapple and author of the book Yes is the Answer. That was a phenomenal episode two of the podcast and this is a phenomenal episode three of the podcast where today my guest is the head coach for the women's volleyball team at the University of North Carolina. Joe Segula. Joe is in his 30th year as the head coach at UNC, and he is one of the most successful coaches in college volleyball. He is UNC's winningest volleyball coach in history with seven ACC championships and 14 of the program's 18 NCAA tournament appearances. 
over his entire 38-year head coaching career, first at the University of Pennsylvania, and now, of course, at Chapel Hill, Joe has 811 wins and a 63% winning percentage as a Division I head coach. Coach Segula has 11 regular season titles and six conference tournament titles, three in the Ivy League and three so far in the ACC. He has the most ACC wins of any coach in history with 324 and his seven ACC titles ties for the most all time among the league's coaches. In 2010, Joe became the first coach in ACC history to earn 200 league wins. Coach Joe Segula has four times been named the ABC Regional Coach of the Year, four times been named the ACC Coach of the Year, four times been named the Ivy League Coach of the Year. He currently ranks sixth among active coaches and 16th all-time in Division I victories. Coach Segula has served as an assistant coach for the USA national team and has twice coached at the US Olympic Festival, taking home two silver medals. This year, Coach Joe Segula becomes the first coach and fourth overall individual elected to the North Carolina Volleyball Hall of Fame. I have had the privilege of working with Coach Segula and his volleyball teams at UNC, and in the past year, I have been sharing so many stories and tools and strategies about connecting with your people, connecting with your players at the keynotes and workshops that I do across the country. And I am so excited to finally sit down and record a conversation with Joe about what he does so well, connecting with his players. This is an interview that you are gonna take a lot of notes, pull a lot of strategies, get a lot of great ideas about how to implement the UNC way into your organization, your team, right away. Coach Joe Segula calls these sitting down for a cup of joe, and I hope you enjoy my cup of joe, my cup of coffee, with Coach Segula. Joe, thanks for doing this. Um, uh, thanks for breakfast this morning. You're welcome, for this. Uh, got a, We got our own cup of coffee. Yes, and, uh, our own cup of joe. That's right, cup of joe. And um, I wanted to start with, I, I texted you after our first program working together with your volleyball team that I had a keynote shortly after that and in the moment decided to end the keynote a different way, telling a story I've never told before. The story I told, which I've continued to tell, is that at the end of our team training together, we bring you and the coaching staff in for the, our feedback process, where the players, coaches go up to each other and say, the strength I see in you, what I appreciate about you, what I love about you is. And I was in earshot of, of a lot of your interactions with players, and players were coming up to you. And in my experience, when I walk through team, tell teams that this is what's going to happen, you're going to go up to your coach and say what you love and appreciate about them. There's two types of teams. The one type of team is excited about that. The other type of team, you can tell they're uneasy, uncomfortable with that. Right. Yours was the first. They were excited to do it and, and appreciative to be able to do it. And the reason I bring up the story now is it's why we're talking for this podcast each and every single player, without exception, came up to you and in different words said, I appreciate that you care about me more than just a volleyball player. You care about me as a person. You care about me outside of just the role that I play here. And that 
was really a cool moment. And in my time working with teams, I've had players say that to coaches. Never have I seen every single player come up to a coach and say that. So I know I, I've started to share that at the end of my workshops and wow. keynotes to say, this is what we're talking about here. This is, this is leadership. This is relationships. This is investing in your people. And that's why when I started doing this podcast, you were one of the first coaches that, that came to mind to say, let's sit down and talk about how that comes about. You've been coaching for a long time and how do you create a culture where, where your players feel appreciated but like that. So that's that's the overarching kind of theme okay. for me and message and question. Uh, I'd like to start with one thing you do that I also share, which is the regular meetings, regular, whether it's, it's in, in talk about how it's evolved too. You and I talked sure. at breakfast about you, you set aside time where players have to meet with you when we first started working together, it was at least for five minutes. It can go longer than that if it needs to, but at least for five minutes. It doesn't have to be volleyball, but it's just time to talk. So talk about that requirement for your players, why you do that, and how it's evolved to, to okay. you sitting in the cafe. Okay. Well, well, thanks, first of all, for the reminder of, um, of uh, what you learned from our team. And sometimes I forget those things and what we do and if it's making an impact. And thank you for mm -hmm. that. And I appreciate being here today with you. Um, yeah, so you know, one of the things that we've learned over over the years is one of the things we've encouraged, I should say, is our players to communicate with the coaches beyond the phone call, beyond the texting, and to have face-to-face -face contact. So we've started to understand that players' time is of value, how they value it. Um, for me, five minutes may seem like a small amount of time for them to make an effort is is a big deal and whenever we would call a meeting with a player um i learned this recently i i called one of my players by phone one day uh, during the season and she called and answered the phone and she said hello <laughs> and she knew it was me and she was worried why because i called her yeah. as opposed to a text right when you get a phone call you start to think what's wrong yeah so the same kind of deal is when someone comes to visit with you in your my office we started saying it becomes such it gets a becomes a big thing in their mind bigger than it should be my our intention is to just let's talk their intention is what's wrong mm -hmm. so we want to get past that so what we started doing about a, two years ago is said you know what scheduling a meeting for 30 minutes or whatever is going to be really a challenge for both the coaches and for the players. So we said, you know what, let's try to have everybody within a two week period stop by the office for five minutes, just five minutes with the intentions like I want you to come by and want to be able to say, how are you doing today? I don't want it to be sports related. Just want to know if, how they're doing. Uh, are classes going well? Is a day going well? What's the difference between saying hello on a Monday versus a Friday? Mm -hmm. There's definitely a difference on a Friday. Yeah. People, their week is over. It's, it's, it's a lot lighter. Um, but on top of that, I wanted to be able to just to say, for five minutes, let's just connect. That's all. Now, if you choose to stay beyond five minutes and want to make it 10 or 15, we'll engage into a longer conversation or maybe this be a starting point say hey let's come back and meet next week or tomorrow or later and talk more in depth of what's going on with you so to me these five minute meetings were a way to 
get the ball rolling and to break the barriers of the stigma of this meeting, more of us like, let's touch base. Yeah. And yet, in the beginning, I needed to schedule it. I had to schedule it to say, okay, to make sure I had to check it when off. When was the list. first year you did this? I believe in 2017. And what in was... In the spring. In the I'm gonna, I forgot to hit record on the video, so I'm going to go do that. But why, what, what about that year made you think it's an important thing to do? Well, I thought it was really important because um, we had gone through a really difficult fall semester. And um, the season was not as good as it did not go as well as we had. I think a lot of the communication between we had a new staff, we had a lot of new players. And we realized we need to do something than just suggest to players like we always have stop by the office. We, we have always so had been suggesting door. that for years. For oh, years, ever since I've been coaching. How, what percentage of players do you think took advantage of stop by the office? Was it a consistent percentage over the course of years? I would say, depend on the year in school. Freshmen, about 10%. Sophomores, 20%. As you became older in the program, they started to understand the value and the lack of the... Uh, of the of um, of the worry about mm-hmm. stopping in the office. So by the time they were junior and senior, they're in my office maybe twice a week. Yeah. As opposed three times a week. We had this. We had last year. My two of my rising seniors were in my office every Friday mm-hmm. for an hour and a half to two hours. Was it always team related, volleyball related, or just just some of them would by. come in and just do their homework. Yeah. They did their homework in the office. Like, is this? productive I said oh yeah I like this just being around it just created a feeling of like I'm comfortable being in this room hanging out doing my stuff you're doing your stuff and every now and then we'd have we'd sit we talk about something and yeah. we go back to our work and it was kind of a way of multitasking and you're connecting and that was really helpful I think so, it's, there's a lot of so I played sports in college but I was also involved in student government and when I was involved in that I came to realize the amount of people, I didn't think about it till just now, that would do their homework in the student government office yeah. just to be around. And, and what happened was the advisor, which in our, was our coach in many ways, was there as well. And so they got to know us on set. And I still see that. I see a lot of group student governments, fraternities, sororities, sure. student leadership groups that the advisor has such a deep relationship with those yeah. individuals. And a lot of it is that non-work time where you're just spending time together. And right. so for a coach, it's no different. It's, but it's great environment where players feel right. they can come in. No, no threat, no nothing, just yeah. being there. And then every now and then, I could, it would be a, a point where I could just say, what are you working on? Mm-hmm. And then I talk about it, and it might be a good mental break for them. Then they go back to focusing. Yeah. And apparently, that's the way a lot of people study anyway. Mm-hmm. But this was their, it worked out to be a nice break for them. Yeah. And so, um, but this, going back to that, it was, uh, uh, I thought that, we went into this because we needed to very much connect more with everyone on the team. Mm-hmm. Everybody, because of, the, because of the fall, because of the newness, the things that didn't go well, and the fact that we tried to encourage communication that didn't go well, we said, you know, we can't just keep saying this. We've got to have a structure, somewhat of a structure, to at least get it started. Mm-hmm. And we figured if it gets started well, then it will become more self-driven and that's what happened so then people started then it would we got to the point five minutes and all of a sudden i'd start to see three or four people every week stop in and it's like okay what are you doing it's like oh i'm stopping in again it's like oh yeah yes you are and it's like 
we started this and yeah. now they became more comfortable doing this and when they were taking the initiative it was significantly better and all we need to do is create a habit what was better the conversation was better or just the consistency or the all of those things yeah. i think that the conversation um the fact that you knew that they were taking um taking charge and they wanted it they felt you felt like they wanted to come by as opposed to me us requiring sure. them um i just felt the ease of the conversation and we would have a connection from one week to the next week about what we were talking about previously right. so just everything went smoother when they were taking charge of that and they saw the value of it but again we had it to start we had to start those habits first by structuring it until they became comfortable and then it became okay this yeah. is what we do it became part of our culture what did you start to see differently in your team from that it's been two years i guess of that type of practice and we'll talk about how it has evolved but how has that changed your coaching your, your culture how does it change your culture well at that point we needed to recreate our culture so it established the fact that we were going to be available mm -hmm. that there was it was going to be a partnership with the players and the coaches together that it wasn't going to be us and them um that it created I think an easier conversation that if I'm on the court, I can talk to them and they realize that it's not personal, that we're talking about volleyball on the court and that hopefully that if they're in my office in the next day or the next week, what happened on the court stays on the court, mm -hmm. whether it was good, bad, or learning, a tough time or an easy time, or was it was complimentary or challenging that's okay that's where that happens and in the office we're just real people we are and i think it makes them realize that coaches aren't just these authoritative people giving them directions they're they're just humans like them having good days bad days and it, we can relate to each other mm -hmm. i think that the ability to relate and realize that they have good days bad days and i have to be aware of that and they may be aware of a coach, assistant coach, or head coach having a good day and bad day as well. Yeah, uh, Dabo Sweeney just had a, a quote in a press conference the other day where he said, the reason I always talk about the word love and, and the reason I, I let my players know how much I appreciate them and love them and care for them is not so that, but because I do that, when I come down on them, when I challenge them, when I am frustrated by something they're doing or not grasping, they know it's not personal. Right. They know exactly. that this is the heat of competition, and 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 this is this is what happens when you're passionate about something. And we can have that frustrated interaction on the sideline on on the game day, and then the next day, not even at practice, the next day in a coach's office, it's it's hey, I, I still love you as a human being. Exactly. Life going outside. Of this that. past year, I remember saying to a player um, about a week later, I said, you know, last week I was really on you. I said, How do you feel about that? And she said, I'm okay with that. So I said, great, I just wanted to touch base because I didn't know if it would be something that sometimes people, it dwells on their mind and it, it, it holds them back or they're worried like, is it, or is they okay with it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can get permission from your player to say, yeah, I want you to push me. Mm -hmm. you know, they all say that. You know, but sometimes, but you have to really, you don't. They say it, but do you really it, have that permission. But yeah. do you really have that permission <laughs> is a big difference. Yeah. 
Have you, has this always been your, I mean, this is just two years ago, you started these meetings. Um, you've been coaching for, what, 30, 30 years 30 now? years at UNC and 40 overall. Okay, so how have you evolved as a coach when it comes to this relationship side of things? Well, I've always had meetings with players. We've always had them, I've always understood the value of having to have meetings. And often it's been with our leaders. We would, we would schedule weekly meetings with leaders or every other week during the off season. Um, I always knew from the beginning connecting with my players was going to be really important. Um, what happens though, in the middle of a season and you're busy with so many things, you tend to, so many other things come up, you forget. And players also, their time becomes a high priority and we don't just never find time. What I think I've evolved to the point is that no matter what, you need to make time. You have to make time. I need to make time. They need to make time. And be, and no matter what, it's going to be something of value will come of that meeting, even if it's not right that, that second. Um, so I, know I, I think I've kind of gone, gone through highs and lows and ebbs and flows throughout my career where I've made the meetings really important and scheduled them. And some, But sometimes these meetings become too long. So I've just realized in this day and age, a short, quick meeting it's like a text, you know, we're just touching base. But I like to still do it face to face. That's why is I, that? I just think you get a lot more of a connection, the emotions and you can read a person, you know, their body language and how they are. And, you know, when they I, I have a hard time, you know, understanding what the emotions are in a text. So and I want to know when you say to me, hey, I'm having a great day. Why? Mm-hmm. And I can't get that in a, in a phone call or in a text message. I don't think you're alone with that. Yeah, I, think, exactly. I think the reality is, my opinion is, those of us that have experience of relationships without texting and email, we know that right. we have a hard time with it. I think the younger generation, it's not their fault, it's the reality right. that they've grown up with relationships over texting and social media, that they don't know that they have a hard time with it. They're reading a text and they think they're reading it right. And a lot of conflict comes from that when, when just... Even over the phone is better, but they're really nothing replaces, in my opinion, face to face. Even the 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 tangents you allow yourself to go on when you're face to face is right. different than a phone. And I think the other thing, like you're saying, is that a face to face allows you to be a little more spontaneous about anything. It could be the weather. It could be who we're playing in a competition. It could be how was mom and dad, or you know how'd you just do on your final. You know, I know sometimes when they walk in my office. They just came back from a final or a midterm exam and it either went well or it didn't go well. And then sometimes I may just be talking about that. And so to help them reframe their mind so that when the later, the next class comes up or the next part of the day or practice, they're not carrying that burden with them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just need a reminder. And we all do. And we all like to just have that. And every time I meet with someone, I learn something about them. No matter what it is, even if it's the same thing, I learn the same thing, but sometimes it's something new every time. I think that's what I'm trying to do. And I only have in the four years with them, you know, and so and then they move on and you try to learn as much as you can so that you can impact them. And I'm going to be impacted as well during Mm -hmm. that period of time. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, when you create these face to face moments, you're more present. 
too. Absolutely. You're plugged in. Uh, I, I think about it all the time. I'm always trying to catch people on the phone to just set up a meeting or set up a conversation. And uh, I thought about this morning your phone rang and you picked it up. And I didn't think anything of it for our conversation. I thought of it as there's been plenty of times that I've caught you or anyone else. And, and it's, hey, yes, glad we caught. But right now I'm currently in sure, a conversation sure. with somebody. Let me, let me touch base later. And I think that's the reality of all of us. We'll, well, we'll answer the phone. Sure. It doesn't mean we're we're plugged in and present with that. We've got exactly. the person yeah. in front of us. And I, I look at the meeting as another way of like when you shake someone's hand and you look them in the eye, it's a big difference mm -hmm. as opposed to just shaking someone's hand. Yeah. You know, because you know you're connected. Yeah. And that's what we want. Just a connection. And it's something that we do at practice every day. Mm. We start every practice now making sure we meet, greet everybody on the team. So we give a high five. You would love this. Bobby, this is in your this wheelhouse. sounds great, yeah. We give a high five, a cheer, just like, hey, Bobby, let's have a great day, and giving a high five, or shake hands, or a hug. Every player has to do it, and that's how we start practice, every day. Uh, something we picked up this past year from BYU Volleyball. Yeah. It was a great because that physical connection, yeah. and it was something about that in the NBA also. I was saying, you seen that about study, that? the physical touch in the NBA? Yep, physical yeah. touch, same, same concept. Yeah. So a light went off. You gotta move. You gotta move around here. Hey, move, okay. There we go. Um, um, so, um, so I think that's important. Yeah. And I think it's important. And then we finish every practice with a handshake or a fist bump to say- Every player, everyone every, must- Connect in the, some way with the coaches. Okay. So at the end of the day, we want the players connecting with the coaches. Yeah. And at the beginning of practice, everyone connects with everybody else. Yeah. Now we could they they may be giving a high five or connecting with each player at the end, but for us it's more important because we've directed the practice. We want them to say, "Hey, I'm good." Before I leave, we're good. Yeah. And especially if something during practice didn't go well, I might have a chance of shaking the hands and say, "Wait." How are we doing? Yeah. And you can tell, I'm okay now. All right, great. Not to leave practice with any anger or being upset. And if they are, can we talk about it in a minute or two so that they leave and feel good about things? Yeah. It's like they say, never go to bed angry. Right. Same kind of concept. We never want them to leave the gym angry. Not We're not perfect, but at least we know, or at least be aware. You know what? Maybe we're going to talk tomorrow. Yeah. Let's let, let let a little time go by. Let's see how you're feeling tomorrow. What went wrong? What went What went well? Yeah, I like. It's funny. So I coach a middle school lacrosse team in DC, and yeah. I have one player last year who would come up after every practice, give a fist bump, and say, "Thanks for practice, coach." And yeah. I appreciated it. He's in seventh grade. I'm sure his parents told him to do that. But as you're saying this, I'm going to make it a rule now that sure. every player has to do that because of what you just said. There is something odd about. I've always loved how he comes up and does that. And then there are some players. As soon as we're done, they're bolting into the locker room to get out of there and and with middle school I've always just I never read too much into it but I think it's a really cool practice sure. to say at the end of practice come up and just allow us to say thank you and goodbye right. because maybe there's nothing to talk about but maybe there is something I want to pull you aside for right and, and so we do this not only in the in the gym where we're training we do this in the weight room with the strength coaches we do it if we have a meeting with someone on campus we want our players to walk up and just to say thanks and mm -hmm. just so they know that they're engaged. They did it after after our training together, and I remembered yeah. it because yeah, that's it was, part of who we feel. Me. Each player came up and said yeah. thank you before they left. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important to know to show appreciation, gratitude, 
and just to make a connection because I think it ma makes yeah. a difference. One, we also started as you saw with high fives at the you door. You start the same way. And they, what's funny is when I when I set that up, there are some teams that look at you like you're crazy. Your team immediately, I can tell within five minutes yeah. if it's going to be an easy morning or not. And within five seconds, I was like, okay, they're they're they're, 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 they're familiar they're used to this. with this. They're used yeah. to it. Yeah. The other thing you wanted me to mention is uh, what's evolved without players. Yes. So another way to facilitate these meetings was, okay, we had the five-minute meetings, and we did that early in the season. Mm -hmm. Then I said, let's take it to another level. Let me go out on their turf. So to make it even more convenient and more about just having a good day, I would leave my office on Monday and Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m., and I would go, I'd walk two blocks to the middle of campus where we have our bookstore and there's a cafe there. And I would sit and have a cup of coffee and I would send a text to everybody on the team and say, hey, I'm here. If you're coming by, if you want to stop by and say hello, I'm here. And sometimes players would come by and just... So that wasn't part of the mandatory meeting. Not mandatory. Just, I'm here just, if you want to stop by. If you by. want to stop by. And yeah. there were some people who came by every week. There were some players I didn't see any of ever. But there were some that every now and then would stop in and just say, hey, I'm on my way to class. How's it going? What are you, what are you going to study today? What's going on in school? Maybe they're picking up their cup of coffee as they're going to, mm -hmm. to, to class. But it was a way for me to make it even more convenient for them to say, this is not about volleyball or a sport. This is about just saying, hey, we're just going to enjoy the start, of, especially on Monday. I like the Monday because it's the start of the week. Mm -hmm. And it was early. Now, some people chose to sleep in a little longer as opposed to coming by. I get it. But I want them to be out there. And I would be out there for an hour and a half from 8.30 to 10 and just hang out. And uh, there were some people that it was really made made a difference. Some people, again, it, it, it was there, there if they chose to. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I started doing it on Wednesdays. The Mondays were always better, I thought, because of the beginning of the week. Mm -hmm. um, but it would depend if we're coming back at midnight to Sunday night <laughs> yeah. to some people who may be a little more fatigued. Yeah. But I made that commitment. I also wanted them to know I was committed to connecting with them. Yeah. And I'll do what it's going to take. So I thought that that was a good way to do it. And I'll probably do something like that this semester as well. well. Especially, like you said, you know, if you were coming back late on a Sunday, maybe you didn't have practice that Monday or something. Correct. Like we didn't that. have practice on a Monday. It was all voluntary. So for you to even just be a presence, I'm sure there were many instances where, you know, individuals waking up exhausted, going to class, and just to exactly. see you sitting in the cafe at 8.30 in the morning is just... You're a presence on campus. You're a part yeah. of the community. You're, you're, even if it's just a hi, how you doing? Exactly. That goes a long way. Yeah. Or just a chance to compliment them again. Sometimes you play, you travel, and the back comes and say, you know what? did a really good job yesterday. Really appreciated what you did. Yeah. And sometimes you just to say it again face-to-face. -face. I was going to say. I think that's important. I want you to talk about that. I don't know if it was in your Monday meetings or when it was, but you talked earlier about when we were at breakfast about this concept of just having an opportunity to thank the players sure. uh, for, for their play or for whatever it might be. Talk about that. That's, I think, a unique uh, part of who you are as a coach. Well, one of the things I think that does make a big impression on players is, yeah, we do at the end of a game you know, pull somebody aside and say, hey, you did a really good job. I think that's important. But I, but I do think the most, this new uh, millennial era of, of young people, um, when I send them a text complimenting them, that's even more impactful. Mm -hmm. When they see it written, they, they really appreciate that. But I always want to follow it by an in-person 
situation. Are you specific in your compliment? Like when you're sending that text? Is yes. It, yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah. just to you, to Bobby Audley yeah. saying, hey, yeah, Bobby, I thought you've had a really good game today. I really liked what you did and you did a great job leading us today. Mm -hmm. And I think that then they'll feel like, thank you so much. That means yeah. a lot to me. Now you're paying attention. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we do on a weekly basis is uh, we meet as a staff and all the people involved with our program, no matter whether it's be from sports information, sports marketing, game operations, um, medical, athletic trainers, uh, academics, we meet each week. And it's my chance, and they help us because our program is more than just the players and the coaches. It's the managers, it's the, all the support personnel, all those people I've just mentioned. But it's a chance for each week to say thank you. Because, you know, sometimes you know, the people who are doing game operations, they show up every day. They're working hard two hours before matches. Afterwards, they're doing things. And, you know, when you have a win, you, you know, we feel good. I want them to feel good. And I want them to say thank you. I want them to hear the thank you from us, the coaches who get it. You know, it going back to, to even um, you, we've all heard stories about, you know, the custodian in your gym. You know, they're important. They keep the floor ready for us. They, they get the gym ready. The people that help out with us with our locker room, the equipment personnel, they're really important for us. You know, I, I feel like all those people are, are service-oriented. Their mm -hmm. job, as I tell, when I hire a manager I, I, who works with our team, another student, I say, our job as a coach, as a manager, as an athletic trainer, is to do whatever we can to help the players be at the best so they can just worry about playing. Mm -hmm. We'll do all the other little stuff. Yeah. And, but we need to make sure we are thanking them for doing all that little stuff and know that it gets noticed. Mm -hmm. And when my players, in turn, can walk up to a manager or walk up to our facilities personnel and say, thank you. Thank you for your work today on a Sunday coming in extra in that morning and having the gym ready for us, that means a lot. Because then they feel like they're appreciated. And when you're appreciated, you feel you feel good about yourself. Yeah, I, when, when you and I first worked together, I got in the night before to set up the room, and um, oftentimes I'm met by a coach or whomever to help set up the room, or nobody. Sometimes I just, you know, they let me in, I set it up, and uh, I was met by an individual introduced herself as a player coach. Right, and, Mariah. Yes, and she handled herself like a coach and and helped me set up and was there and texting back and forth whatever I need and so I finally said to her she looked younger than I thought she she came across and so I said what what are you what's your role here <laughs> and she explained to me and correct the details if I get them wrong but as I remember it is she's a player who was injured correct right. and and instead of just no longer being a part of the team instead of just kind of sitting on the bench with an injury you all your coaching staff made her right in in some respects a player coach exactly. and and she took on that role right really intensely was proud about it and that was another example of caring about people and seeing that as part of she's a cog in your program and she's a part of it and she's a part of your culture and she wasn't just cast aside because right. she got hurt right. you know and that was just that right there struck me as well as when we have some young awesome. people she's special you know she had a medical retirement and we knew she had a lot to still offer and we didn't want her just to be lost and it's like yeah. they were done and you know it's not just 
what you do on the court is what you do off the court. And we know that she had some leadership capabilities that she could provide to the team in a different role. And uh, she transitioned really well into that. And she's handled herself very maturely. And, uh, and I think, I believe she wants to be a coach in the future. Mm-hmm. So this was a great way for her to, to, to work through things and to learn more about what it's gonna take and be part of the meetings, uh, weekly meetings, and, and understand that, you know, we're also doing a lot of the, the nitty gritty work and that's what it comes when, it, when if you've done it all, you can really appreciate it when you become a head coach someday. Yeah, I just thought it was fantastic yeah. that, that you all had given her that opportunity. And that speaks to um, something you said earlier, too, when you, you had told a story of a former assistant coach of yours, or maybe it was a former player who was applying for a head coaching job. And you said right. to them, Are, make sure you're interviewing as a head coach, you're coming right. in with, with notions of what it means to run a program. Right. Talk about that. You have a little bit in terms of all the people that are a part of your program, but what did you mean? I wanted to ask you earlier what you meant by that, but I also wanted to save it for this. So, sure. so tell me more about what that means to interview as a head coach. Right. Well, I was talking to uh, a former assistant who's an assistant uh, somewhere else right now who was being interviewed for a head coaching position. And I asked him, I said, okay, are you ready for your interview? And he said, yeah. I said, well, how, what do you, are you, you have your thoughts ready? He goes, yes. I said, are you thinking like a head coach? Is what I said to him. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you can't be thinking like an assistant coach. Because I think great assistant coaches can do, serve a, a very valuable role. But they're thinking about how do I complement the head coach? What do I do to help my head coach be a great head coach? I think that's one thing I learned from an assistant coach many years ago. When I hired one, he said to me in his interview with me, he goes, my job is to figure out whatever I can do to help make you a really great head coach. I said, wow, that's a great perspective. Mm-hmm. I, you're hired. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds so, good to me. But now, as I turn the table for this young man, I'm giving him some advice. I wanted him to understand, you can't go into this, an interview for a job thinking like an assistant coach, you've got to be thinking like a head coach, which involves thinking about the whole program, thinking about leadership, the fact that you're going to lead a staff, you're going to lead a team, you're not going to just take one aspect of the program, you're going to need to think about how do I interact and communicate with my administrator, because that's probably something you don't do as an assistant coach. What are you going to do to interact with your facilities people? What are you going to do as the face? You are now the face of the program. You are in recruiting. You are um, in your budget. You know, there are a lot of things that assistant coaches do outstanding, but they don't have to have the responsibility from the financial part of things, the fundraising, the alumni relations, things like that. Depending on the program, some may have their hand in some of those things. But ultimately, the other thing is when something goes wrong, it's the head coach. Mm-hmm. So I think the thought process behind that is really important when you do, when someone makes the transition from assistant to head coach. And uh, some people are really ready for that, and you can tell. And some people just need to make sure that they're clued into that, mm-hmm. that their thought process has to change. Yeah. When I think when I think of a head coach. Um, number one thing I think of is, is culture. The head coach mm-hmm. defines and runs the culture. And a lot of cultures are, are lived 
what I say, they're lived on the walls and on the t-shirts. So people have got the right words on the walls, right. they got the posters up, they got the right theme of the year. Um, I remember walking around your locker room with, is it Mariah, your, your yes. player coach, and I said, she, the core values are on your wall in your locker room as soon as you walk in. And I said, I said to her, I, I always ask players this, I go, what are those? She looks at me, she goes, our core values, or whatever you call it, is that what you right. call them? And yes. I, go, I go, do you guys live those, or is that just, it's just on the wall? And she looked at me like I was an idiot, and that was a rude question. She was like, of course we live. There are core values. And I was like, okay, great. Like that's, You can tell immediately they either, they either get offended and answer that way, or they laugh when I, when I ask if we just live them on the walls. And so how do you, if you know how this happens, maybe it's just walking through how you introduce and live these core values with your team, because you are a team that lives them. Um, how do you make sure that happens? That that whatever you're defining here is our core values. You guys really live them, and they're not just something that that is on the walls. Well, yeah, that's a great question. Um, something that we've we've learned to do over the years. Um, I think you're right. It looks great to see it all up in the wall and on a T-shirt, but if you're not living them, it doesn't mean a thing. One of the things we did is we broke our core values down. We summarized them into four areas this year. Um, which was uh, we are committed to learning. Uh, we respect the program. Um, those are two major ones um, that we feel that they encompass a lot of other things. So we take those core values and this year we put them on our board before every practice and we point them out there. We ask players who's in a good example of this today. And we don't do it every day, but we do it every, every now and then. We might be a a way to start practice. Maybe the beginning of the week, it might be, we're gonna emphasize this core value. We're looking for reasons to say, who here looks like they are committed to learning? And we say, that's our theme for the week. But- um, The players answer. They the players, yeah, they'll both say, hey, I, I like so-and-so. I think she's she's demonstrated it this week because she did this. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's great. And if they can recognize that that's important, it's much more meaningful. Yeah. But the other thing, you're, you're right, I think, Core values have to be practiced. Core, they have to be reminded every day. And they change. Mm -hmm. They change every year. And if, if, you know, years ago we had our core values and for a year or so it was good. And then we stopped talking about it. And guess what? The team lost track and we were not who we thought we were. We had got to reestablish ourselves once again. Uh, we had to always redefine every year, every semester, what our core values are. Never assume it's understood mm -hmm. and being a priority to everybody mm -hmm. until you remind them all the time. And then when you have the great leaders who live it and examples of it, then I think you're in a good, you're a good position. Do you make them as a team, or is that, is that a coaching staff conversation to say, what do we, what do we need this year? Or is that a, a team conversation? When we reestablished our core values just now, first of all, we had to redefine them from what they were three years ago because we're a different team, different staff. We summarized based on what we heard from our team at the end of the year individual meetings with them. We said, what, who are we? What's important to us? And we took all that information and basically then my staff said, when we think about UNC volleyball, it comes down to these four things. These things summarize where we are, who we are, and said so that's what we need to make sure we keep our eye on. Mm -hmm. And then we brought it back to the team. 
said, what do you think of this? Do you understand it? Does it define everything? Is there something we're missing? And at that point, this team just basically adopted and said, no, this is, this is it. This says it all. So well, you had been listening to them. We had been listening, so to, and so they were involved. Back to them right, we basically they gave us feedback, and we just gave them feedback back, and we said, "Are we all on the same page?" And that was the answer. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we will always tweak it each year, you know, because now without core values, there might be something more important in the spring than it is in the fall. Um, you know, being a great teammate, you know, is important. You know, that's going to be important in the spring uh, as well as in the fall. But it define it's slightly different. Because in the fall, we're on the court and we see each other every day. In the spring, we're, we might not see each other as much, but are we still looking out after each other? So I, I think that your culture changes. I think one of the things I've learned over the years, your culture changes every year when your personnel changes. Mm -hmm. And you have, if you want your culture to be strong, you have to pay attention to it. And I think that's the thing that I've learned by taking my eye off of it at times and realize, oh, well, I, Sometimes it takes care of itself. When you have great leaders, the culture can reinforce itself. But if your leaders change, it's not happening necessarily. And that's where the coaches have to help educate. So how does your, so you could, because your culture does change with your personnel, is there, when you look at recruiting, do you have a consistency of culture that you're looking for, for someone who's gonna fit well into the UNC way? We, we have things that we look for in personality traits and when we watch players play on the court or how they interact off the court. But I can tell you, when we, we've been recruiting players who are very young, who are freshmen and sophomores in high school, mm -hmm. and they don't know who they are yet. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for us to know who they are, mm -hmm. what they're going to become. You can hope, you know, you can see perhaps how do they interact with their family with their parents, with their teammates. And you can get some signs of like, I, I see what I think is important to them, what their character is. But in two years, they may change quite a bit. Well, and you're, From 16 to yeah, 18. And you're getting them young too, yeah. especially now as a fall sport. Right. You know, there's some athletes so, who are graduating high right. school early to come play college. But we do yeah. pay attention to it yeah. to the best that we can, but it's not... It's not exact. Do you see yourselves then more in a role of, of you're creating an environment and a culture that is going to help young people grow into? Because like you said, yeah. to kind of see at 16, do they have these traits of, of teamwork and grit and relationships are important? Yeah. Like maybe they don't at that age. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you don't know. You, so we want to see some signs of it, mm -hmm. glimpses of, you know, do they look like they're going to be open-minded? Are they coachable? You know, what do we hear from their teammates and how do they interact? You know, probably more of what happens is we watch them. We might just, it might not just be a yes, but it could be a definitive no. Mm. It's like, nope. We, we watch them. They're really talented, but they're not for us. Yeah. Just there's something about their character. And we say, you know what? They're going to be good, but that's not who we want. There's other people, it's like, it, it's just a blank canvas. You don't know yet. So if we watch them, if we can start to see the right things, we'll say, yeah, then we'll work taking a risk and we'll hopefully we'll teach them over time. Mm -hmm. I remember one year, this is a great story you would like. There was um, uh, probably one of my prouder moments. Uh, there was a young lady who was a sophomore who, before she came to our program, she had some ups and downs through her high school. In, um, in some of the things, her discipline, her character. 
And at one point, I had to told her, while after I recruited her and offered her a scholarship to come here, I said, you know what, we're going to rethink that because you're not, you're not living to be the person we thought you were. I said, but you have six months to get your act together. She did. She became, she got it better. Her freshman year, she was still learning. I'll just say that. The next year, the sophomore year, I was at an event and I was talking with a gentleman and she came over to me and said, hey coach. And then she introduced herself. Hi, I'm so-and-so. Put her hand out and shook, shook his hand and looked him in the eye and said, how are you? How's your day going? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> so our conversation finished and she went on with her friends and, and walked away. About an hour later, I caught up with her again. I said, hey, that was really awesome what you did. She goes, what do you mean? You taught me that. I said, I did? She goes, yeah, I mean, this is what you asked us to do. I said, okay, thanks. <laughs> and I was like, wow. So those little things, paying attention. Yeah. Pay, pay, she paid attention to, and probably one of the best success stories ever, but just to see how mature she was, and this is not, two years before that, coming out of high school, she would not have walked up to a person and handled that conversation that same way. And I was just so proud of her. And that was so impactful to me. So you know what? These little things are making a difference. And we're teaching young people how to, to, to be young adults. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a, we talk a lot about culture. We say there's a, this is how we do things here. Culture. It's the UNC way. Yeah. When a player joins, this is the expectation. And so when I think about recruiting, a lot of coaches that I think do it really successfully, they hit on what you just hit on in a really cool way. You're not always looking for the exact character traits that you that then become the UNC way, but you are looking for someone who can learn those traits. Exactly. You're looking for someone that can embrace them, yeah. and it's going to help them as an individual. Absolutely. So that's why there certainly are some no's where this person is just maybe maybe they will, but I, I I'm not confident that they're going to embrace the UNC way. Right. We're probably not the place for them. Uh, but that doesn't mean you're looking for someone that already has this stuff because they're young people. Yeah, and absolutely. that's the purpose of sports is to teach yeah. those things. So create an environment where you sure. teach it. Is there ever a is there ever a place where talent surpasses so much so that you take on someone that that maybe is a project. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, thing. yeah, I think without question, yeah, sometimes talent trumps other things. Um, but I think it's a matter of how much of a risk do you want to take. Mm -hmm. So in other words, there were some years ago when we had a pretty solid culture and we said, you know, we can take this kid. We know it might be a little bit more of an education but there is enough good in place around that it's going to help manage her. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't going to take three people like that. Right. That would have been right. too much. But yeah, so I think sometimes talent, you say, yeah, I'm willing to take a risk. And those are the things I look forward to because when they turn out well, you feel so good about the impact you've had on people's yeah. lives. Um, and uh, But I do think it's just a matter of how much energy you also have. You realize that if you have people who are on the edge, have that slight edge, yeah. like the book, yeah. um, you know, how much energy can you put towards helping them? It, I think if you, on a team of hours, like anywhere between 15 and 18 players, I don't think you can get more than two or three or four at most where you have to spend a lot of time. 
But the only time I feel really good about it is, again, as I said, is when our culture is really solid. Good leadership, good people, good, good, um, good mature players who are juniors and seniors, as well as leaders who can support and demonstrate what it means to be part of our program. Yeah. And they can help manage the young players because peers are significant in this process. No matter what we do, it's how we teach our older players to be solid citizens and how they then manage their fellow players because they're with them all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, on the weekends, you know, out at night, you know, during the day in the in the academic center, in the wherever they are, they're representing our program. And so they have it's their responsibility too. So when we take on a risk kid, we'll say, hey, we have we have someone we're gonna need help, some help with. And uh, and usually it works out pretty well. Yeah, I mean that goes in line with the 10-80-10 principle of team development that I talk about a lot. Sure. Your top 10% are your natural leaders, middle 80% you're trying to swing to the top of the bottom, and the lower 10% is kind of the 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 the, at, the risk sure. player. And and there is sports is such a great. Oh, you're good. Breaking my stuff, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> you can let that fall. I think this is I hit it too much here. No, you're good. Is that going up or down? There it goes. You can leave that thing off. Okay. Sorry. You're Italian, right? Italian. Talking with your hands. Talking with my hands. hands. <laughs> this is hard for me to talk with my hands down you here. Can, you can let it out. Um, uh, but just that idea of, of if you have that one, and, and a team of 15, if you've got one player that's kind of the project, then, then they... The research does show overwhelmingly, especially when you have people that are committed to excellence, committed to being phenomenal, committed to winning, yeah. then they will buy into some stuff Absolutely. that is maybe outside of their nature. They're not used to, but they, they want to win. They want to be great, so they'll, they'll embrace some of that stuff. You know, yeah. I know a football team, I, was, I had a, a Harry Swain, director of player development for the Ravens, I did for this podcast. Uh, he said in his interview... And all the Super Bowl teams he's ever been a part of, there's about six or seven players that made the difference. Not on the field, from a place of culture. Absolutely. Six or seven players that really led the culture. And a football team might have, what, 60 people on it? So there's, there's, your, there's your 10% that really lead yeah. the culture that you're building. And I'm sure got some players that weren't on board that were tremendous talents, uh, which you see in the professional ranks maybe more than any other, anywhere else, on board. So you can kind sure. of find that. Yeah, and as coaches, we, we love and live for those players that you know that can make a difference. Yeah. Because they make your job easier, and you realize that you can have more of an effect on people mm -hmm. with those types of players around. Talk about, because this is in line with this, you, you, you mentioned, uh, again, at breakfast, the concept that, what was it, 20 years, maybe, no, 13, 14 years ago, as a program, you mm -hmm. had an athletic director who came in and sat down with all you as coaches and said, we're at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. You guys have had a lot of success as a program. Um, what is it we need to do moving forward? Do we need to invest in facilities? Do we need to invest in more coaches? Uh, what is it we need to invest in? Yeah. I think the coach's answer was awesome. Yeah, the, the answer was leadership. Yeah. Was that the difference maker for teams over the years was great leaders on the, on the field or on the court or on the pool or on the, wherever it might be. Um, the overwhelming answer is like yes, we all feel you know feel that you know we want we want the resources you know the physical resources to be successful mm -hmm. you know but if you had to if you had to come down to one thing you know what why do teams win 
why do teams why do certain teams win the national championship and other teams not win it yet some teams have more physical talent athletic talent and other teams overachieve and we've played i've played against those teams it's like why why do they win and then you just feel like there's you know this team why do we win i guess the team looks like they've got more physical talent well it comes down to the fact that leaders on the court make a difference on the field they make a difference they can they can be the difference between winning and losing they can be the difference between a team's chemistry staying together the grind of a season from beginning to end it comes down to great leadership and the question is then are leaders born and just you're so lucky to have that happen and if you have good leaders you're successful or are they taught or are they made and the answer is both but but the fact that we can teach leaders to become great leaders. And the first thing you need to do is learn to lead yourself. Mm -hmm. So we developed a program here at UNC about, again, 13, 14, 15 years ago, a leadership academy. It was with and Jeff Jansen. With right? Jeff Jansen, yeah. who helped start, initiate that, and Dick Bedora, athletic director. And it's now called the uh, Dick Bedora uh, Leadership Academy in his honor, who had retired from here a few years ago. Um, and um, the answer was the fact that we need to teach, even our leaders need to be given some skills. And if we can teach them how to be leaders, they can have an impact on the, everybody's team, on their team and other teams around them. And the first thing, again, people get to college, they have to learn how to lead themselves. Then they need to learn to lead their fellow teammates. Then they become captains and leaders of their program. Then they become leaders of the university and leaders when they graduate. So it's, 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 a, it's a process, it's an evolution that, that happens over time, and they learn how to become better people over that time. But it's, uh, we found it to be very rewarding, mm -hmm. very encouraging for our young people to become part of us, and basically giving them the skills and the tools to say how to, how to problem solve, how to deal with t issues on a team, conflicts, how to deal with the things that happen in the middle of the season, the grind of when people are tired and, or when some player is not cooperating. And some people don't know how to handle that. They might be great players. And sometimes you find that your best, it's not always that your best athlete is your best leader. You know, but there's a role for different players and different types of leaders um, throughout the season, uh, throughout the uh, program. You know, some of them that are going to be great off the court, some will be great on the court, some of that manage both. And uh, but we felt that this is something that can be taught, and it's had an impact in, on on all of our athletics over the years. Yeah, and I know you mentioned that you know if leadership was the term 15 years ago, today the term is relationships, which sure. is going to bring us full circle right. on how we started this. But um, why do you think relationships is so important today? Well, I think. First of all, I think leadership, our idea was to develop people, lead themselves, and then think, concentrate on the top 20% of your team and have them have an effect on everybody else. I think is important. I think it's still important. But I feel like what's important now is that leaders need to be have good followers. And you have, you have to have good people that want to follow and respect the leaders. That's the worst thing. I think the leaders have to have a relationship with everybody on your team. People aren't just gonna follow leaders because, okay, you're the captain. It's not gonna happen. And in a short amount of time that their people are on campus, they don't get to know everyone. So I think what enhances it is 
having relationships with everybody on your team, the leaders and the coaching staff, making that connection, which is why we do some of those things and have these short five-minute meetings while we're out there meeting with the people on our team out on campus. Developing a relationship away from your sport and entitles you and gives you the opportunity to communicate with them on the court and be better in your sport. Mm -hmm. I think relationship building is so important because I think we've, as a society right now, we're so locked into our phones and electronics and social media. That's the, where the relationships are built. We need to have these personal face-to-face relationships because that's what we do it. We don't coach through a phone app. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are, we're connecting and, and, it's, and it's, our, it's our tone, it's our inflection, it's our attitude of how we go about communicating to a player and how they receive information. So the more we can have that relationship with them, they understand what we want and they understand, we can understand who they are, I think that easier for us to connect because no matter what everybody says, they want to be treated the same. No, they want to be treated fair, mm-hmm. but everyone is different. Mm-hmm. So the most we can do is say, recognize it, Bobby, you are different than this person and this person. We're going to treat you fair, but we're going to treat you slightly different because you need something slightly different than this player and this player. And the only way to, to, to know that is to have some sort of an understanding relationship with the player. and. We don't, we're not perfect at it. We continue to learn how to be good at this, but we're gonna to continue to try to work at it. Yeah, well, so what the new golden rule is not treat others as you would like to be treated, it's treat others as they would like to they be treated. They need to be treated, right, exactly. I think it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful nuance that, yeah. that, is, that is. Yeah, personality profiles. We do certain things with, with like from the Myers-Briggs, mm-hmm. I understand their brain typing to their colors, what they do with different things, and just try to understand how you communicate. You know, I think, and communication, I know it's a, it's a catchphrase, but communication is so important and it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can have a great relationship with a player and not have to say much, but your communication is spot on. Mm-hmm. And some other people it might take an hour conversation to get to a point. Yeah. But the thing is you need to do both. Yeah, take the time to do it. Yeah. So this is my last series of questions. I want to honor your time. I oh. appreciate you doing this. This um, is great, this is great. Um, I think this has been awesome. and. Uh, so you've been at UNC for 30 years. Yes. You've worked with, alongside a lot of tremendous coaches. Uh, you, you practice and play in the gym that uh, Michael Jordan used to play in. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot, you know, Anson Dorrance is, is a, a friend and a colleague of yours. Uh, obviously I told you I'm a lacrosse fan, so I watched your Cup of Joe with Coach Bresci, sure. who's won a national championship recently. What have you learned from all these other tremendous coaches? that you've had an ability to work with over 30 years? Wow, that's a, I've learned so much. Yeah, so podcast part two. <laughs> yeah, really, that would be a hard thing. Yeah. I probably, okay, you've mentioned some great coaches. Mm-hmm. What I probably have learned is to be myself. Mm. Is I can't be Anson Dorrance. I can't be Karen Shelton, Jenny Levy, Joe Bresci, Mac Brown, Roy Williams. I can't be them but I can take parts of what they do really well and maybe incorporate into who I am as a, as a coach, as an educator. Um, I learned this a long time ago when I was in college and trying to study art. And I studied all the masters. And I used to say to my, my professor, my mentor, it's like, well, when am I gonna develop my style? He said, don't worry about that. Just keep practicing 
follow Rembrandt, Matisse, Cezanne, whatever it might be. About three years later of doing this, I turned to him and I looked at a painting and I said, I have a style. It evolved. He goes, of course you do. But when I stopped worrying about trying to be like these other people and just practiced and tried to learn from them, I evolved. So the same thing as a coach. Mm -hmm. I think I go around the country and I go and I study, go and, and watch other college uh, volleyball coaches and the U.S. national team with uh, John Spra, Karch Karai, um, other colleges and Russ Rose and uh, um, Heather Ostrom at BYU. And, and they're all doing some really good things. I want to take a bit of pieces of that and let it become who we are and do it. But I can't be them um, because with all due respect, they are who they are and have gotten to that way because of their personality. Mm -hmm. And I had to be truth and honest to who I am. And I realized that part of it is I'm going to make mistakes. I can't be perfect. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, take something and run with it when it's working well. But most importantly, I've learned to adapt over the years. Mm -hmm. That who I am as a coach, from when I first started coaching in college in 1981 to who I am in, in uh, 2020 right. now, well, um, is, is not the same kind of coach. And the, the players have changed. How I coach my students 10 years ago is way different than I did 20 years ago. Um, how hard, the timing, how we relate to players was way, way different. So what I've learned is that I don't know. I, I'm only just starting to learn. Mm -hmm. What I'm learning is that it's, uh, I'm gonna, I don't have all the answers. And I'm going to keep making mistakes, but I'm going to learn from those mistakes. And I keep try to get a little bit better. And I'm going to continue to fail. And we, every time we fail, we learn something. If we're not failing, we're not trying. And we've learned yeah. that from Carol Dweck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, and I think I've learned that from all these other coaches. And they say what they've done well. And um, I, I, I admire them. And the fact that every one of these coaches you've mentioned, they're willing to give their time and share their thoughts. And that's who, what I have to be continue to do is be able to appreciate you asking questions and, and people who come. It's like help somebody else, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the game because it will always you'll, you'll have an impact on someone else's life. Yeah. And I think they've impacted me. And uh, hopefully at some point we'll be able to help figure this out. Oh, and what a fantastic answer, especially at a place where, like you said, it, it'd be easy to come in here and, and a lot of what I hear from even athletes who are, are playing at the Division One level, there's a certain sense of, from the outside looking in, we look at them and say, wow, they must be so proud to be where they're at. Right. Whereas I think a lot of them, in my experience talking with them in the, in the way that I get to, is you sit down with them and a lot of them walk into an arena like this and you look around and you see the UNC emblem and instead of pride, many of them sit there and say, who the heck am I and why am I here and, and yeah. I don't belong here because it's human nature to sure. not feel like we fit in this place. And instead of trying to compare yourself to teams and players of the past, instead of trying to, as a coach, say, how do I become Anson Dorrance? It's no, how do I become, how do I gleam from a, a coach like that? Yeah. What works for him, what doesn't work for him? And how do I take stuff that's gonna work for me? Because I think the highest compliment you can pay anybody is when you meet them and you say they are who you thought they were, if it's a positive light. And, because of you, I, I was able, one last time I was here to work, two times ago when I was here to work with your team, 
I met up with Coach Dorrance and we walked around the arena and talked for over an hour. And in that, I've read a lot of his books. And Mm -hmm. in that moment, I remember thinking like, he is exactly what he puts into those books. Yes. He is exactly who he says he is. And, and I'm sure a lot of that of what he does works for him because of like coaching in the way that he does is, is natural for him. It doesn't mean he hasn't worked on it, but it's natural for him. So if you're going to try to copy that exactly, it's not going to work for everybody because right. it's not natural to you. you got to find what works for you. Exactly. Take from there and find what works for you. Uh, so with that... Um, yeah, this is 50 cups of coffee podcast tell us about your cup of joe and how because that's people can that's on yeah. instagram right yeah people can just take a look um, at that it was a a great idea that um I, my assistant coach uh susan clements and mary lee gibson our sports information director came up with yeah they were thinking because i am not a i do not use twitter yeah. i do not put many things out or instagram i have accounts but they figured, hey, we need to, social media is so important, getting a message out and expressing who we are to our recruits, to, about our culture, and letting our message go out to people, young people who come to watch our volleyball matches, as well as recruits and families, and just to say, hey, who who is Joe Segula, and uh, what, what does he represent? What is the program about? So uh, they came up with this idea of, uh, they know I'm a huge coffee fanatic, yeah. and they said, well, Cup of Joe, um, I know there's a there's a brand around there with the, with that uh, going around for coffee shops, but um, but to have that here on campus and to do it, uh, we started in the summer. We had a, a visiting coach from uh, Istanbul, Turkey, come over, uh, Armando Cosentino. He came and said, "Let's start with him and ha- talk to him about his experience in coming to visit and learning about volleyball in the U.S." And we took it from there, and we we scheduled different people on campus throughout the year. Um, who we feel would be interesting stories that I could interview and find out their relationship to UNC athletics. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a little bit about Joe Segula and volleyball, but let's bring in other people and talk to them about the UNC culture as a whole and the University of North Carolina and how I can kind of uh, facilitate that on the social media and get my name out there and I guess my image and um, so that... Uh, People could could recognize that, and uh, it's it's been fun. I've really enjoyed asking some great questions with some of the different people I've met, from administrators to different coaches. And uh, we're going to keep it going this spring, and probably do it a little bit more often if we can, when when it's quiet, and sure. so we can build yeah, up the interest again. But the other thing is, we want to build up the interest so we can get more fans coming to our matches as well. I think it's brilliant. I think I've enjoyed it because it's coaches that. Are, you don't usually see and players and people connected to UNC that you don't usually see just comfortable relaxed and you know yeah. what I mean any type of interview uh, they're they're kind of on but with you they're they're themselves they're yeah. laughing they're telling personal stories and, and you get some insight into people that you wouldn't naturally do yeah. so it's been fun yeah. and great people and I'm really really fortunate they've all embraced this with yeah. a lot of enthusiasm that's awesome so you're a coffee fanatic what's your favorite uh, I'm, I'm a big uh, uh, latte drinker in the mornings okay. and espresso late afternoon and evening yeah and you were an artist? That's I was. A side I note, a, but I didn't know I have know a that. Bachelor yeah. of Fine Arts degree. Okay. And I uh, was in art education and taught for a couple of years uh, okay. before I decided to create the art of coaching. Were you? That's beautiful. Like <laughs> I didn't create that. I didn't create it. But I am part of a Book clinic series. Next year. Yeah. yeah. Are there's you really? a clinic series um, 
that are, I've been part of, uh, which is called The Art of Coaching, um, by uh, Terry Laskevich, who's organized this. And uh, we'll, we'll be doing a clinic here in this spring and last weekend in April here in Chapel Hill. Okay. And there are about five or six throughout the country. And it brings in coaches from all over. And I've been fortunate to be included in one of those. So it is a, a good way to think about, about the game and that there's not just one way to teach the game of volleyball. How is, who, is that open to anybody that wants to so any any, okay. any coaches who want to attend? How do yeah. people find out about that? Is there just, a website or just it's on a website? The Art of Coaching Volleyball. Okay, the Art of yeah. Coaching Volleyball.com. Yeah, and it's gonna be hosted here in April. We, we will have one of them. Yeah, I think there are about six different locations, but we are hosting one in Chapel Hill. I think it's April 25th and 26th. Okay, yeah, it'll be fun. Awesome. Yeah, cool. you'll see some great hear from some great coaches. I'll be just one of about six coaches here presenting, okay. and Anson Dorrance will be here as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Just writing that down to make sure we can. I'll ask you about that again. Make sure, sure I put it in the show notes to make sure people yeah. know about that. Awesome. This has been great. I don't hey, know. Bobby, do you have anything you. before we sign off? No. Well, I just appreciate you asking um, just to be part of this. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours, and I know that your, your your TEDx talks and uh, and the 50 cups of coffee. So we're on that same wavelength yeah. with the coffee yeah. theme. But um, your enthusiasm for what you do is, is just. It's just amazing, and uh, I, I learn something every time I talk with you, and you're, you bring a lot of energy, and it kind of rejuvenates me every time I see you and, and talk to you on the phone. And I do even get it from your texts. Yeah. You're, you do have an energy about the way you text and communicate. So uh, I appreciate being part of your circle um, and your growth in what you're doing and, uh, you know, the heart of a champion and um, it, it's the heart of a team. And um, it's been an impact for, with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to our continued relationship. I appreciate it, Joe. This has been a blessing to be connected yeah. with you and your team. And I can't thank you enough for doing this Good. and for thank breakfast and coffee beforehand. Thank so. you. Let's have a great 2020. Let's do it. Thank right. you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. This is a journey that started with a TEDx talk back in 2016, and I am very excited to share my 50 Cups of Coffee with you in 2020. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. We will launch a new interview every Monday. Please give us a rating and leave a review if you are so inclined. It means more to us than you know. And connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Bobby Audley. This podcast is a production of the Pinot Training Group. To learn more about the work we do with teams and organizations, please check us out at pinottraininggroup.com.